0: You are listening to Building the Future, green building in the new millennium, brought to you by sustainablehomesofthefuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, Please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates, share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Another episode of Building the Future green building in the new millennium. My name is Ian Sollenberger. And today, uh, as you can see on the screen there, we have Matt DeBarra joining us uh, from DeBarra Masonry. Um, Matt, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Ian, for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on the podcast. Um, uh, We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, your book and your uh, upcoming podcast that's gonna be launching in a couple months um, later on down the road here. Um, but why do you call yourself the undercover contractor? Why is, why is that the, uh, the brand that you've chosen? Why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, maybe your history in the construction business and the masonry business. Um, and, and then what, uh, got you from there, from there to here just real briefly.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've got an interesting story. I'm um, the fourth generation of masonry contractors in the family, uh, you know, my first day on the job, I remember it vividly. I was nine years old, and uh, that's the day I mixed my first bag of uh, mortar. Um, I weighed about 70 pounds. The bag weighed about 90. My dad brought me over there, and he said, all right, here's how you're going to mix it. This bag goes in the mixer. You put X amount of shovelfuls of sand. And I was like, well, Dad, I can't. I'm 70 pounds. I can't lift a 90-pound bag of concrete, uh, excuse me, of, of cement. And he goes, oh, don't worry, son. He took a razor blade, cut it open, and he said, four shovelfuls is half bag. Eight's a full bag. Have at it. And so that was my that was my first day in construction. Nice. Um, And, you know, since then I've grown, grown the family company and then relocated uh, the brand out to Los Angeles. Um, And we've grown quite a bit. Uh, We were named Los Angeles's number one masonry and concrete company by industry oversight. And the undercover contractor really comes from this unique perspective I have of growing a business, but doing it with a foundation of transparency and ethics. Um, And as, as, you know, now the company continues to grow more or less with the team we have in place, my mission and purpose is to bring back ethics and transparency and enjoyment to the construction process. Um, And it almost feels like I'm going undercover. Um, You know, (laughs) I'm I'm helping homeowners, but what's interesting is a lot of contractors don't, when they know the secrets, there's not a huge vested interest to help homeowners, right? There's really not. Uh, And some of them do it, right? But it's really an ethical choice. Um, And so I'm kind of the, I like to think of myself as the person who is in this ring or understands this ring of what happens right I know the scams I know how to take advantage of people um, I know what what things work and what things don't um, and I'm choosing to expose those to the homeowners so that they have the upper hand in the process um, and so that I can kind of level the playing field and it feels a lot like being an undercover agent so that's where all (laughs) that came from.
0: That's awesome. Uh, that reminds me of that show was it Undercover Boss, I think, where like the guy goes in and sees like you know what things are actually like on the job site, and it sounds like, you know, from pouring concrete to running running your own business. At this point, you know, you've you've worked at every level there and have a really solid uh, understanding of of how to you know just run a good business. You know, we were talking before we before we started recording here about idea of good business and. And obviously our, our podcast is about sustainability and in my opinion, um, and I would venture a guess in yours as well, you know, the idea of, of having a good business where you do right by your customers, um, you try to save them some money if you can, you know, all the while, obviously you have to make a profit cause you want to keep your business and, you know, <laughs> in business, but, but there is, uh, you know, a sustainability aspect to looking at that long-term growth, maybe a little bit more over short-term growth, um, and I think that's something that we're dealing with right now in the economy, uh, with you know all the all the issues that we've had in 2020 here, and you know elections, and you know say what you will about about politics and things. But you know I think as a society, looking a little further out um, and saying you know, how how can we do right by our kids, and how can we do right by you know society 10, 15, 20 years from now, and not just thinking about you know Q3 returns. Um, you know that's that's what we're talking about here we're talking about sustainability on a bigger level um and really focusing on people uh, that's something that, that you just brought up um profit you know is a, is a necessity for continuing the economy and continuing good business and then um planet as well and so that's kind of the perfect segue into tell us a little bit about your was it a dual major or um your construction management, but then also environmental studies. That's really, that's really fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was going to college and I was working for the family business at the time. Um, and I was also working, I was interning for a local masonry and concrete company and I really liked construction, but I didn't, you know, in the, in the family business, I mean, just by the culture and the virtue of who we were, we were very, uh, we were sustainable right we looked at how to reuse things we saved things we, that was really in our ethos um you know we cared a lot about the environment i mean my my i remember my grandfather working with us all day and they would go home and snip his tomato plants it was just <laughs> like that, that ethos of, of caring about the environment right um and building things that lasted right that, that was how i was really taught it was you know we looked at and still marveled over things that our ancestors built you know great grandfather and even his father in Italy and the fact that I could see and enjoy those things now so there's that sustainability longevity aspect of it but you know for me it was the reason I picked up the major uh was because I realized how much waste was on construction sites and the lack of care for you know we would we would do things and it, it, it wouldn't make any sense. We, we would build things that would last, you know, and, and this was while I was interning, right. Yeah. Not my company to clarify, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, for, for these bigger companies, we, we were, we were told to do things that would last a year or two for budget reasons, or that took no regard for um, you know, the environment. And one of the big takeaways was there was always massive dumpsters on job sites. There was just oh, yeah. so much waste. And so I said, you know, I said to myself, I said, what if I could, Simultaneously, um, because we were already doing a lot of restoration work, Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of our backbone in the family business, masonry and concrete restoration. But I said, what if I could understand how to design with the environment in mind? Like what if there were things and foundations and principles and, and ideas, uh, that other people had already figured out that I could learn to kind of advise or implement or or have a say in, and that was really, it was, it was an interest in, in like what you said, it was thinking further down the line? Like, what is this going to be like for my kids if we don't don't make a change?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just had a, um, a son seven and a half months ago and, you know, I'll I'll tell you it's game changing. You know, you really do start to think about life in a different way. Um, when you realize, oh man, you know, 25, 30 years from now, like he's going to be 30 years old. Like he's still going to have two thirds of his life left, you know, hopefully. And, um, what's, what's the world going to look like? then so this that's interesting um yeah i waste is a huge thing waste is a huge thing and and i love that that's what got you into it because it is it's something that i think as americans and sort of our our consumer based society um you know you've seen in the last five or ten years this push toward using less and reducing waste but it still doesn't feel mainstream you know, it still feels like the thing that your weird cousin or your, you know, your your uncle with long hair or, um, you know, your your hippie buddy who plays Frisbee in the park. Like that's that's what they're focused on. Um, and there are so many ways, really clever ways to use the, the technology that we have these these days, um, really advanced technology and to to use it. I mean, to give an example, like. the stuff your grandfather built in Italy. I mean, the fact that that's still around and and then coupling that, that like just again, good business, quality craftsmanship, um, quality work, something that's going to last. And then we have all these new technologies. I mean, we should be building structures that are going to last five times longer than the ones a hundred years ago. But in most cases, it's it's kind of the other way around. Um, What did you pick up? in school, you know, that you said, all right, here are, you know, two or three really solid things I can, I can apply to either my family business or whatever I end up doing, um, in construction to, to really move the needle towards sustainability.
1: Well, you know, the, the big thing that I realized, right. And it's, it's a little counterintuitive, but the biggest obstacle that I thought I could help overcome and and have helped overcome was really the psychology, right. Right. There's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of room for growth in terms of how we view uh, environmentally designing something or you know green initiatives if you will right mm-hmm. and it's becoming I think a little bit more uh, it's it's a little less of a weird thing not like you mentioned right but it was people think of it right away the association typical association was that's expensive right. or that's hippie. Right, or that's the law. That's the you know like like and and it's what I realized was if I could show people that that's not true, which is what I learned, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and it took me years to really learn that and understand that and, and see what are the principles of why we're you know retaining the water and easy ways to do it. And and I said rather than focus on the the minutia, right, and try and sell someone or or explain to somebody why for you know a few percentage points, you know a few percentage percentages more on a, in a bid, we could do all of these great things rather than doing that. It was to change the psychology of saying, look, you know, let me show you an alternative for the same price. Right. I was battling the psychology of, of what they thought and they believed in. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was the big takeaway for me was that that was the gateway because otherwise it was hard to get people to listen. You know, it was like, they shut off, they weren't open to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause they assume you're trying to upsell them which in fact, you're doing the opposite, as you said, you know, you're really trying to find some cost savings by integrating different systems, different uh, again, technologies, different materials that maybe weren't around five or 10 years ago. um, And, and finally are getting down to the place where they're at that same cost level, or in some cases, maybe even a little bit less. Um, I mean, one particular thing and I'm interested in your take on this because you work, you know, with brick and, and concrete, certainly. And we'll get to like we'll get to healthier concrete a little bit later and see if you have yeah. any ideas on that. But um, you know, these these materials that have some porous quality to them, um, there are things you can do where you don't actually have to, you know, the, the old idea of wrapping the house and doing the whole vapor seal and whatever. I think that we're moving a little bit away from that. Depends on the climate, obviously, Um, but there are these alternatives There are like these vapor permeable um, insulations and seals, like these bio-based products. Um, And in some cases, they are more expensive. Uh, In some cases, they're actually sustainability-wise, like they they take more resources to create (laughs) um, in in some cases. So you have to do all of that. It's a lot of, it's a lot of research for the average contractor, the average designer, architect, um, you know, whoever we're talking about in the industry, like there's no question that it, 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 while all of these products exist, it's, it's a lot more work to to get to that point. Um, But when you do you really can realize, you know, you don't have to have some of these redundancies. You don't have to over order, you know, you don't have to like, um, if you're if it's designed well, if you've thought through the design um, or what you're gonna do, uh, you know, really comprehensively, then there's fewer change orders. There's fewer variables along the way. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're saying. Like, these are the things that homeowners should know or anybody that's building a building, commercial, industrial, otherwise, you know, should know that, that these options are available Um, what are, what are some of the things? Yeah. Like just, just right off the bat that either a homeowner or the average contractor, um, can do like from day one that, that doesn't take much work or education, um, that can really, you know, make a big difference.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, um, you know, I like to the simplest way I like to, you know, show and, and, and kind of explain to clients and even contractors is it's, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Right. So it's, you know, really simple. Sometimes, you know, when we're designing something, let's take an outdoor backyard. It's, it's do we really need all this concrete, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I will cut down the size of, of some of our concrete areas to allow for more soil percolation, more water retention while saving them money. That's a mm-hmm. real simple elementary example of a reduction of a scope, something that, so a lot of times like we'll come up with systems where we use less concrete or less of a hard surface, saving money, and then also not needing a drainage system. And it's still counterintuitive, right? It's like, if I pour all this concrete, right? Extra $10,000. Oh, and by the way, now, because there's nowhere for the water to drain naturally into the soil, you need to put in a $10,000 drainage system. So instead, (laughs) what I can do is I can use less concrete. I can make it look better because now we're saving money. I can design it better for you. And now we don't need a drainage system. So not only are we not spending the money, but we're not pouring all that water out into the street and overwhelming the city system. And it's going right back into the ground. Oh, and by the way, if you want to plant anything, here's a great place to do it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a simplification of, you know, do I really need this? Right. And, and, and looking at the individual projects, I mean, the, the you know, the, there's just so many examples, but it's, you know, I always look at the reduction first, right? What are the benefits of reducing? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at what can I reuse? Right. So a lot of times, like if we're, I'll give an example, cause they're, they're simple and easy to understand, you know, where we're ripping out concrete driveways. Is there a place where I can build like a rubble concrete rubble wall with that concrete? So That's now cool. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing multiple things. Um, you know, same thing with soil instead of hauling off the soil, you know, we'll have that conversation. Hey, do you need, uh, is there any place that you'd want to level up? Oh, well actually, yeah. We were thinking of putting a planter here. Okay, great. I just saved you $1,500 in hauling off the soil. That's going to end up you know where we don't want it to go. Yeah. And you're going to have the benefits of keeping the soil on your property putting in this planter. Um so these are it, it really comes down to to thinking in that in that frame of mind. It's it's the reduction, how do I reuse what I have and then obviously recycling what what I'm not using and making sure it goes in the appropriate place. Um
0: yeah. That's a great that's a great start. I mean It's been around what since the 70s, (laughs) reduced reuse and recycle. I mean, yeah, exactly. Literally 50 years ago, I think, you know, Earth Day 1970. Um, Yeah. So that's actually a good, good segue. I really like the the reduce and reuse thing. I mean, it's fantastic. And if you're keeping all that stuff on the site, like you said, you're saving money from having to transport it or haul it off. You're also saving, you know, for what it's worth couple miles worth of, uh, carbon emissions, you know, from that truck that was going to have to come, you know, from the, from the yard and then go to the yard and then come back and go, you know, um, so there's, there's benefits in a lot of ways. Um, when you're talking about recycling, you know, it's interesting. I think people are starting to talk a little bit more about like cradle to cradle or life cycle analysis on products. Um, you also are starting to see more and more products coming out with, um, EPDs, environmental product declarations, or HPDs, health product declarations. And all of these things, um, you know, actually, California did just mandate, I think, one of those uh, this year. But um, previous to that, it was all, uh, it was like the, the US Green Building uh, Council, and, you know, some of these other advocacy organizations that were just saying, hey, guys, like, in a lot of cases, you as manufacturers don't realize that your product is actually healthier than 10 other products out there. Like you don't have anybody who's really looking at that process. And if you do, you might have a competitive advantage, um, you know, by just basically marketing this thing that you're already doing. So, I mean, a lot of it's building in these systems or checklists or whatever. And, you know, some might look at that as additional work, I suppose, uh, you know, or additional paperwork. But at the end of the day, you're, you're getting, you know, maybe a better product, certainly a healthier product. Um, and, you know, and you know about it. And so it at least brings that into the conversation uh, for the average builder, the average homeowner, contractor, developer, whoever it is. Um, what, talk a little bit about life cycle, maybe uh environmental and health, uh as as it relates to concrete, because that's that's a big a big part of what you guys do. And I know we talked yeah, a little yeah. bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, we obviously specialize masonry and concrete, but I have experience in all, you know, in all construction, right? Um yeah. you know, we often have to consult on on other aspects of construction as it relates to anything we're doing. And we touch a lot of points in a home or off, you know, commercial space and whatnot. But I, life cycle analysis, it's funny you said that, because that's something that I always look at and discuss, you know, in, in the commercial design space, if, you know, if we're sitting down and putting our take on, you know, a masonry and concrete scope with the design team or uh, whether it be with the homeowner, because life cycle is uh, a way to really understand some of these principles in a simple, easy to digest manner. So yeah, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, let's say there's a, a, a roof and the roof has a leak. Um, you know, a lot of contractors have a vested interest in getting the whole job to remove and replace the roof, right? But mm-hmm. if, if the rest of the roof is good for another seven, eight, nine years, and the leak, leaking portion is only leaking because it wasn't properly flashed or installed near, let's say, the chimney, then sometimes it makes sense to just do that small repair, right? And look at the life cycle. So it's that life cycle conversation, in any capacity, you can use this as a, as a litmus test for any area of your home as a, you know, you ask for quick tips. It's if I'm a homeowner, I'm going to say, well, what, if I just do this one repair, how long should the rest of this roof last? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a good way to be your own, you know, kind of eco warrior and, and to understand this, it's, it's you taking charge. And if they say, well, if you repair this, you should get another three, four, five, six years. It's like, well, then maybe maybe I should get that extra three, four, five years, save some money Mm -hmm. and then do the job once it all needs to be done. I love the analogy of the car and what a lot of, you know, and and understanding that if there's other parts of the car that are still good, you know, when the tires are bad on the car, you don't throw away the car.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a great metaphor.
1: But, but a lot of times, you know, contractors try and persuade ethically or unethically, you know, much bigger projects when there's so much more left on the life cycle. So it's, 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 you know, and then even in terms of like new construction, let's say you're doing a remodel, right? The conversation could be, okay, what's the warranty, right? Warranty and life cycle are somewhat synonymous. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive, but, but the, the length at which the manufacturer is willing to stick their neck out is an indication as to how long something might last, right? Yeah. You can have the life cycle conversation with warranty. So I teach clients, look, when you think life cycle, which is a more, slightly more green term, you think warranty, right? So sure. what's the warranty on this roof? Oh, well, this roof is a one-year warranty. Okay, well, what would a five-year or 10-year warranty roof look like? And what's the cost difference on that, mm. right? And if you don't bring up these conversations, then, you know, I, I bring them up for our clients. I mean, in my culture, in my company, you know, we're, we, we talk about this. I mean, this is on every interaction. You know, is, is what is our you know, what is our, 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 end goal? Cause there's a lot of homeowners who want to be in a house for 30 years yeah. and make a three-year decision. Right. <laughs> Cause I asked them, I'll, I'll say if the manufacturer is going to stand behind this for three years, is the contractor going to stand behind it for the other 27? Cause you're looking for a 30 year product, right? Yeah. And they're like, Well, that's a good point. I'm like, yeah. So, you know, maybe for that extra 10% and see, it's hard to get what, what I try and teach. Right. And I try and explain to my clients is That there, we want to look at, at things over a a longer term. Most of my clients want to stay in their home for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, but are making two year decisions. Yeah. Right. So we bring up these conversations and we start having a conversation about, well, if you're going to spend 10 grand and it's going to last two years, or you can spend 15 or 18,000, but it's going to last 20 years. It's a simple math equation. It is. And it's, and, and it's good for the environment. You're yeah. going on, right. So it's, 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 it's a win, win. And when we can align the, the cost benefits with the environmental benefits, it's that magic key that unlocks the door. And that's where I think we've been really, really, really successful is by getting clients to understand this in a very simple, easy to understand way. And, the, and that's the relationship between life cycle and warranty um, and understanding how long they want something to last. Right. Cause I don't think a lot of homeowners understand that there are products in the commercial and residential sector that will last two years or three years, or, you know, or even four. Yeah. And no one's talking about
0: that. No. Um, and, and two, we, we were chatting a little bit before we got on. You know, you said, what's the, everybody knows the biggest thing that people spend money on is, is their home, you know, in their life, largest purchase. But yeah. the second biggest thing you said is,
1: well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I always ask, you know, I, I talk to clients, the most expensive purchase, typically, if you study the average American, and these are statistics we've pulled, um, average American is the purchase of the home. The second most expensive purchase is the maintenance of the home. Yeah. And and, and it's unfortunate because I think that in the 50s and 60s, and even in, you know, t- tailing into the 70s, we had an emphasis on longevity. We, we had more of an emphasis on on things that were were made to last and were were quality and, and it just, you know, aside from the hazardous chemicals, which, you know, we didn't maybe know enough about at one point and then, right. uh, you know, and then it became very expensive to, to abate. But if you take that away for a second and table that, which I think we're doing a great job with now, you know, in, in, in today's day and age, um, the longevity factor you know, I see it all the time, you know, I'll see, I'll see doors you know on a client's house that were put in in the fifties, right. you know, nice hardwood door. And it was just the, it, you know, it was the emphasis on the understanding of the cost benefits, um, and environmental benefits of having something truly last as long as you want it to last.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Amazon is good for a lot of things. It's a good tool. Um, but that, uh, habit, Know for lack of a better word that that we've all gotten in of just being able to click a button and have something show up on our doorstep and not really think about, yeah, where where it comes from, how long it's going to be around. I mean, you know, if you lose a phone charger, you just buy another one for 20 bucks, you know. And I think there needs to be a, a clear distinction made between buying a phone charger and Putting a new roof on your house. I mean, those are those are two. One's twenty bucks. One's you know potentially twenty thousand. You know, depending on the house. And so, like, there's a there's a big difference. And that's one of the things I think that you're doing a great job of. It, it sounds like is just having those conversations and and really getting folks that are about to make a large financial decision uh, to think about it for maybe a little bit longer than they think about you know whether or not to click the button on Amazon. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what are the conversations with other folks that, that you've had other, other contractors, like are, are they generally, or subs, are they generally open to these conversations? Just a matter of them not having had them before, or do you get a lot of, a lot of pushback? Uh, you're crazy, you know, I'm I'm just going to keep doing things the, the way I've been doing it.
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of contractors, you know, and this is, this is my, you know, one of the areas I'm looking to contribute in the space is there's a different conversation between price and value, right? Mm -hmm. Value is, is takes into account, you know, like you said, where it comes from, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and, and also how long it lasts. So it's, it's really what I'm trying to get everybody to do is to have the value conversation, not the price conversation, because price is, is a facet. Or a subset of value, right? Value is at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, right? And, yeah. and underneath it, it branches out in all these different these different elements, um, you know. Because if you could, if you knew for two percent more, you know, that your roof was going to be sustainably, uh, you, you know, designed, or that you were going to have a much better life cycle on it, or that there weren't hazardous chemicals, and I think a lot of homeowners would, you know, be open to that discussion. Um, yeah. But it stems from the value conversation and i don't get a lot of pushback from contractors i think it's just it's one of those things where it's the 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 conversation typically in a lot of markets is just price driven and you know sometimes things you know some of these decisions could be marginally more um and they don't quite know how to present that and 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 explain the value also you know training on a new product you know where do i buy it who's gonna what's the warranty on it, it, it in typical contractors, it's like I chose, right? I chose to take on all of this extra, uh, all these extra tasks, so to speak, right? To yeah. learn the best products, to to become educated, to understand the warranties, the distribution, the suppliers, um, and a lot of these different facets. And what what I'm, what we're learning is that a lot of homeowners do care about these things. If we're willing to take the time to explain it. Um, and that's what's really, really exciting about what I think the next 10 years is going to bring for us is there's an openness now to, to have the conversation. Um, and I see more conversa- more contractors having that conversation and they're not they're not pushing back it's more of, you know, they're, they're tired of knocking on the door and having no one answer metaphorically, right. Tired of bringing it up to clients. Oh, we have this, we have this other version. It's got a five-year warranty. It's sustainably, you know, it's, it's a sustainable product. Here's why here's your benefits. Oh no, no. I just want, is it more expensive? Yeah, but it's only, no, I want to go with this one. Yeah. But that, that title, that tide is, is shifting. I really think we're, we're awakening. Um, And so it's just, it's up to us to remember that, and I, I teach contractors. This is look, you may have knocked on 90 doors and everybody said, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested, but, but we're in a shifting landscape. And so it's not, we cannot give up this fight. You know, we, we can't give up the uh, desire to at least educate, you know, I'm going to, I'm on a, on a, on a, a, mission to educate, right. That that's my goal. And, and I know through the knowledge we're dealing with people that, that when they see it and it's presented and it's fact-based, I mean, I would say it's, it's an excess of 80, 90% of clients will choose in in my world will choose an environmentally friendly, sustainable option. If we take the time to present it to them. That's awesome.
0: That's really good. I mean, that's a hopeful outlook. And I think also pretty, pretty realistic. Um, You know, I want to throw out there that, you know, I've had the, like you, as you said, you chose to, to go and and get a, a degree in environmental studies, you know, alongside the construction and, um, I've had the luxury for the last two and a half years of being able to go to net zero conferences and green build conferences and things like that, and just learn, you know, and really soak up the knowledge. In, in the same way, I didn't go to school for that, but um, kind of did a little, <laughs> a little, uh, uh, you know, self self directed uh, study, I guess. And I, the the thing I had somebody ask me the other day, a, a, a developer actually, you know, say, "You got to teach me how to how to build that way." You know when i was talking about this because it's true i mean i think people that are you know not to not no ageism here but people that are maybe 50 years old or younger you know get that the values in the millennial market are different um and no and that's the market that's going to be buying homes for the next 20 years you know, and, and living in, in upscale condominiums and rental markets and things like that. I mean, a lot of the development that that's going on or renovations of existing homes. I mean, a lot of that's going to be in that millennial market and millennials care about the environment and they're willing to pay. I mean, still we're all, like I said, in this habit of, of consumerism, but I, I think you're right that, we're moving away from that. And and it's because the market is changing. It's because, you know, the folks who are getting good jobs right out of college and, you know, thinking about home ownership in five to 10 years are not boomers anymore, you know, like, it's it's a completely different market. Um, And, and yeah, I, I think that the thing I would say to contractors, if there's any other contractors listening out there, or developers, or anything, is go go educate yourself. It's worth it. It's worth it for your business. You know, it's worth it for the environment. It's worth it for you know people's health and all that too. But it's worth it for your business above and beyond everything else to have be able to be able to deliver value, as you said, um, have a competitive advantage over you know other folks in the space because you understand why. You're not trying to upsell somebody on something because you think they want it. You're uh, you know, you're delivering value in in the fact that you've done the research and and said, and that is, and that's where the that's where the market's going. Um, we talked about the EPDs and the HPDs and, and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's only gonna be more and more transparent because of the age of information here. And so to jump on that and get ahead of the curve. Instead of waiting and being the last one to get on the bus, you know, I mean that that's gonna your business is gonna grow over the next five to ten years instead of instead of decline, you know that's that's really what we're talking about, especially for small business owners, you know, people that aren't huge corporations. Um, so I think yeah, it's a real opportunity for some smaller contractors, subcontractors um, to to stand out from from the crowd. I, I don't know if you agree with that or you know. Um, I don't know if you have any comments, maybe on, uh, like maybe some of the certification programs. Um, I'm sure you, you talked about lead and living building challenge and some of those things, um, net zero, uh, you know, energy savings, things like that. I mean, they're all, those are all long-term, uh, approaches, you know, and there are all of these initiatives, both government-led and then market-led um and I'm, I'm curious moving from here's the question moving from the east coast to the west coast uh california obviously has way more stringent requirements um regulations around what you can build how you can build um do have you did you notice a difference between east coast and west coast uh or coming to california does the additional legislation um Incentivize or deter uh, the average business owner from from pursuing some of that stuff.
1: You know, I think it's overall. I, I think the additional, the added layers of of you know compliance in California. I think as a as a general yardstick has helped, um, but sometimes there's more than one way to solve something or to do something. Um, and so it's done a good job of creating a framework, I think, you know, on the East Coast, I think you could get away with a little bit more if you wanted to, if you chose to, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's certain applications I can think of offhand where, you know, building codes were a little loose and, and environmentally there were very little, if any standards. Um, and so it was really up to, you know, the ethics, knowledge, understanding, you know, desire of, of the contractor, subcontractor uh, or homeowner uh, you know, or design team for that matter to make that choice. Um, whereas California has kind of created a framework and said, no, you know, these things are completely off the table. You can't do these these things. Um, but what, what sometimes that that can do is it can make things seem a little bit, uh, overwhelming to try and learn all of the things you need to know, uh, to fit within that box.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And so, you know, overall net gain, I think benefits, but it definitely can be, uh, a little bit, it makes, I think it makes for some of my peer group and even homeowners a little less, uh, open to trialing things because they don't want to be punished. Right. Cause if they, if they fall outside of a, of a gray line, there's, mm-hmm. there's usually repercussions. Um, yeah. and so I think it creates a, a little bit of apprehension, um, and so what I what I do, and I think the, the solution to that is really just trying to distill and simplify everything, right? Because I have a lot of, you know, such as yourself, right? There's a lot of really, really knowledgeable people. And I wouldn't say this for you, that's why I think this is extremely valuable and enjoyable, but there a, lot, a lot of people in, the, in the, the green initiative or this green space or thinking about the environment, sometimes they, they forget who they're talking to. It's, yeah. it's almost like a, a major league baseball player you know, coaching some, a little league team, (laughs) it's just really, really important for us to remember our audience and where they're at and, and, and helping them progress, you know, at the pace and and rate that, you know, makes them feel good. And I I think that's a unique, you know, perspective and and what, what we've been able to do. And I, I, I urge people to do is, 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 is you take small steps, you jog and then you run. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the approach that I found is really, really, really successful. Um, so, you know, I tend to say, you know, let's not worry about all this. We know this is accepted by California. We know we can do this one thing. Let's do it. Um, and I, and I urge people to find that one thing. I have contractor friends, carpenters, plumbers. It's like, what's that one thing you can do on every job site, uh, that you can easily explain that is easily adaptable and let's master that. Right. And then we can move on to the next thing. Let's not try and dip our toe in a bunch of different things. And then, you know, there's certain ways you can do it, but this one California doesn't allow because it's locally unacceptable. And if you go to this County, you can't do it. Like let's just find one simple thing that we can do in everyone's home that has a benefit for both the homeowner, you know, you as a knowledgeable expert in the environment and move on to the next thing. Um, And I, and I think we're adapting more of that or adopting more of that, um, which is helping. I I think it's moving the needle.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I like, I like what you said there about good ideas and, and yeah, there's a, there's a benefit and, and a downside to some of those regulations for sure, because it standardizes it, it. you know Everybody's on the same playing field. You know, everybody has the same essentially opportunity. You know, you know what the codes are, you know, what the compliance is. Um, but yeah, sometimes it does, that does handcuff you a little bit. Um, Cause maybe there is an idea out there that isn't code compliant. That's a better idea. And I, but I also, I'll say then to that, that I think that's where the green building community actually does get it right because they're the ones going to the, you know, the compliance folks and the building and safety and, and saying, Hey, look, can you do a study on this? Um, you know, municipally or statewide or, or whatever, because it's a really awesome product. Maybe it's um, you know, board, board form concrete, or maybe it's, you know, uh, a bio-based, like a hemp, you know, hempcrete kind of thing. But, you know, the actual process of hempcrete is terribly painstaking and nobody knows how to do it. So like the, but allowing those companies to say, Hey, we've got this product that we think would be a great application in this area. And then sort of opening up those conversations so that the cement industry and the hempcrete industry, which I guess, could be at odds with one another. Maybe can can come together and say, let's have a conversation about whether there's an application of some of this, you know, this the, this uh, hemp husk that you're growing. Can it be applied to you know to concrete or to cement to to make it um, maybe more sustainable in some way? What does that process look like? So all of these conversations are really good, you know, whether or not it's it's uh, legislated, you know. It, it, they're all moving, moving everybody just a little bit forward, you know. And and like you said, um, I wanted to hit real quick and just say one of the things I heard when I was at one of the uh, I think it was the Net Zero conference in last year, two thousand nineteen, in here in LA was th- they were talking about these these big job sites. I mean, I think it was a, a guy from Gensler. It was a guy from a company called uh, uh, Panko Builders, big big uh, yeah. developer out here, um, or Big GC and um, and the panel was being asked, you know, what are the sustainability things that you bring to, uh, to your job sites? And there were some good ones, you know, they're talking a lot of the things we've already t- touched on, you know, basically better products, um, you know, different processes, uh, technologies, things like that. But one of them, the one guy was like, I'll say that the number one thing that we've done in the last two years that have made our job sites more sustainable was telling all of our subcontractors and and everybody that worked for us that they needed to bring a reusable water bottle instead of having you know uh, case after case after case of of single use plastic being carted onto the site. That's that's one again that's like so easily implementable. All you have to do is have that discussion with your team. Uh, you know, maybe even pay for the, the reusable water bottle for, for the 20 guys that are working for you for, you know, that week or, or whatever. And, and now you've got it in their mind when they do the next job, you know, oh yeah, should, I should. we don't need that, the single use water, you know, and that, and that makes a huge difference with uh, petrochemical companies, you know, and, and all the stuff we don't necessarily want to be ingesting into our bodies in the first place to talk a little bit about health. Um, yeah, what are what are some of the technologies? I just wanted to share that little water bottle story, but what are some of the technologies uh, specifically with um, cement? Uh, some of the bio based materials. I know that it's not there yet. You know that that really the the cost benefit there is not there yet with with making um, you know performance related. It just isn't up to snuff timing it takes you know two three times longer to cure uh when you're talking about adding some bio-based stuff but i assume again like over time like if we can make some little movements forward that that will end up with something better what what are your thoughts uh, about what's coming down the pike there
1: i think there's a lot you know there's a lot coming down the pipe like you say um the tricky thing about a lot of what i do is it's structural so there's there's a lot of you know there's. It has to go through multiple fat. It's not quite like uh, you know, clinical trials for a, a drug, but gosh, sometimes <laughs> it feels that way. Um, yeah. and so, you know, th- there's a lot that needs to, to happen. They've got, you know, a good permeable concrete, um, you know, they're getting better at designing tiered systems. So, uh, things that last longer and hold up better. Um, you know, I know they're using better dyes. Um, you know, they've gotten away from like a lot of the iron oxides in, in concrete, um, you know, the way they make the concrete, uh, there's a lot of things behind the scenes, I think, you know, in in my experience and understanding that they're doing better, something as simple as getting better logistics for concrete plants, um, you know, has been great because there's less waste for the trucks. That's a huge one. So, so I think there's, there's the, the, you know, the, the real milestone, which is, uh, you know, developing bio-based concretes, things that recycle, you know, or elements of concrete that recycle easier. Um, I know we use more remanufactured material um, in concrete, which is exciting. I've always said that. I'm like, why cool. are we not, you know, this was 15 years ago. I'm like, why, why is this not a thing where we're, we're separating out the broken concrete, using that as a base aggregate in the new mixes? Um, smart, yeah. Yeah, and we've gotten really, really good with that. But a lot of it's, I, I, I see a lot of improvements that don't get a ton of attention. Like I said, the logistics is a big one, mm-hmm. you know, where they'll have a, a a crew cancel a pour and you've got 10 yards of concrete in a truck you want to talk about waste where does that go you've got two hours to make a decision um and they've gotten you know they've gotten in, in a yard of concrete's 3,500 pounds so you've got you know 35,000 pounds of material that's going to end up at a plant as a square block that may or may not get sold like these are so so there is a lot happening behind the scenes um it just the, the the industry as a whole i think it's 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 kind of last or or towards the end of the the pecking order, it seems because it's such a capital intensive, heavy infrastructure. And so any change is like, okay, it affects all of these elements, you know? So, um, but there's a lot there we're attacking it from, it's interesting. Cause it, it really feels like we're peeling back an onion. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was a kid, the, the form oils, right. When you were forming concrete, the oils were horrible right? Like yeah. we would spray diesel fuel. This is what, you know, this is a, this is a behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, man. So, and, and, you know, some people still do this today, not us, but they'll, they'll spray diesel fuel on, you know, on the forms or on the stamps so that it didn't stick to the concrete. So you could strip your wow. forms. Right. So, you know, that went. it's like back. Pam,
0: it's like structural Pam. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, and, and, Yeah. So that was, you know, 10, 15, you know, let's see when I was, I mean, that was, you know, 15 years ago, that was pretty normal to have a can of five gallon diesel fuel and you just spraying it and rinsing it off and it's going on like, this is real stuff. So for, for the average person to understand how far behind this industry, what, you know, is and was it's really, there's a lot of, so we've, we've come a long way with like a lot of the releases, you know, there's um, you know, formal releases, there's, you know, the stakes we use, the forming stakes we're getting away from, Uh, some of like the throwaway wood stakes that break every time you form Um, there's reusable forming screws. So there's a lot of peripheral stuff that they're chipping away at, but I think the big, you know, real big improvements, like the the specifications on the mixes and things like that are going to take a lot of time. I mean, I, I know even like when they were doing uh, uh, like bag mixes, for example, uh, and and having things pre-mixed, like that was a, you know, painstaking process because, of the liability of you using it for something structural structural and it not holding up to yeah. the classifications but i think we're yeah it, you, you you almost have to be inside the the industry to really see all the things we're doing in masonry and concrete but it is moving and, and you know and I'm, I'm i'm part of the masonry association of america and you know, i go to the world of concrete i mean i'm pretty vocal in this this community um because i've seen i was taught by you know when out 15 years ago, the people teaching me were 60 plus. So I've seen this trend, yeah. um, which has been been helpful, I think.
0: That's awesome. Um, we're kinda coming up on, on time a little bit, but I do have one more question because I was really blown away by an example you gave when we were chatting about um, a brick building because for anybody that's not in California, because of seismic stuff, you can't really use brick structurally. Um, to build anymore you have to do a brick veneer on the outside of of the building if that's what the look you're going for Um, but when it comes to existing brick buildings um, you you told me a story about you know basically uh, getting a client to pivot from wanting to tear down the entire thing you know this old semi-historic I guess uh, you know brick building and and doing a, a retrofit or sort of an adaptive reuse instead, and you know, for anybody that doesn't know, that is probably the number one way. You know, yeah, you can fix concrete, you could you know do all these different things, but um, the the number one way that that we as an industry, as a building and design industry, can really make a huge difference with embodied carbon. Um, feel free to listen to our our podcast episode on embodied carbon. Um, is is to reuse existing buildings. Um, so talk a little bit about your your work in that space.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, you know, we have two things, right? Cause again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man of simplicity, right? I'd rather do one or two things and do them really, really well. Um, and then we can always branch out from there. Uh, you know, in my company, we look at rainwater retention. That's a big thing in California, um, you know, stormwater runoff, um, especially yeah. when we get rain, it's usually intense. And so um, that's one facet that we have. The other is restoration. Um, you know, and, and it falls in line with, with what you're talking about, uh, that example, yeah, it was a brick building. Um, and they basically said it was going to be too expensive to retrofit it. Um, so they're going to knock the whole building down and it was a historic brick building. And so I basically questioning things as I do, I said, yeah. well, you know, is it possible for me to have this reviewed by an engineer that I work with that specializes in retrofitting and earthquake retrofitting and some of the seismic codes? Uh, because I, I think you might've had this over-engineered and they're like, well, you know, I was like, let me just have them look it over and see what we can do. Um, and you're talking about it's black or white, the city stamps it and the engineer stamps it or they don't, right. Yeah. There's no kind of, oh, well, maybe this will get passed. So we had it reviewed by the engineer. We came up with some creative solutions and we salvaged the entire building. Um, the entire building was unusable because it made sense from a budget perspective. Uh, the city was behind it. Um, and that's, um, that's, I think why I love the restoration space, um, so much, Uh, you know, one of the core tenants of our business, because I just, you know, like you say, it's one of the, one of the, it's just such a, you can have such a great impact on the environment. And if you do it right, a lot of times the budget, so it, it, it fits so many people, you know, people love the fact that they could look at this historic brick building and it was really cool on the inside. And, you know, it was like, there were so many elements that the boxes checked off, which is one simple question that we had asked, we changed the entire trajectory of the project.
0: Yeah. And and it feels better because it has that character, you know, who doesn't love an exposed brick uh, wall in their apartment or office or, or whatever. I mean, everybody loves it. But yeah, when if you if you're not asking those questions, and if you're just jumping right to um, well we've got to tear it down then you're you're missing an opportunity for sure so it's cool that you guys are always uh looking for those opportunities not just looking for them for yourself but you know actively inspiring others to look for them as well um and and educating you know real true props for that because um right. that's that's where we that's that's how this started you know it was just we wanted to learn um and we also wanted to to educate and, and kind of just Keep that discussion going on new ideas, innovations. You know, in the built environment and how people and the and the planet can kind of also profit from uh, from some of the the businesses that that are out there doing a lot of building and a lot of developing. We need we need housing. There's no question. We need more housing. We need more you know places for people to live and work. And um, so if we can do right uh, by that by that space, you know, then then what a, what a huge impact that, that we can really have. Um, Matt, anything else that you just wanted to throw in there? Um, you wanna plug, plug your podcast or your book or anything or any, any other yeah. sort of like uh, technologies that are inspiring for you that you wanna share or anything?
1: I, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff always coming down the pipeline, obviously um, in terms of me, you know, the book, The Undercover Contractor, uh, it's got a really good subtitle. I'll leave that as a surprise. Um, <laughs> same thing with the podcast, um, you know, for specifically for homeowners, hiring contractors and want to know more about the process. Um, but my, my takeaway message to, to everyone that I talk with is, is just, it's, it's all about the simple, small steps. And if we continue to progress forward, um, a lot of these, these bigger ideas will move faster and quicker as they see more people making these small steps. Um, and if we can all march together, I think we, you know, we'll definitely make a lot, of, a lot of headway in the next you know, five to 10 years. I really see this big shift happening. Um, and I don't want, another thing is a lot of people tend to think that one, that it's too small, right? Cause we tend to look at things on a grand scale, mm-hmm. but it really is about your small individual step and not overlooking the, the sometimes the smaller changes as much as, you know the bigger design elements, so it's exciting. I had a blast, truly.
0: Yeah, no, this has been great, man. Um, the undercover contractor. Uh, stay, yeah. stay tuned for a podcast and a, and a book um, under that moniker, Matt DeBara, DeBara Masonry, um, here in Los Angeles, but originally from the East Coast, and and was it the East or West Coast of Italy? Where were where were you guys in Italy originally?
1: So yeah, my family's from Bari, Italy. So it's kind of like southeast there.
0: Okay, cool. I've not been to that particular area, but next time I go. (laughs) Awesome, Awesome. Matt. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for joining us, uh, Building the Future. Catch you next time.